Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are... Defender Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do on today's podcast, we've got some what we've been watching to talk about, uh, tell you about what we've been watching that we recommend, and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be discussing Black Mirror Season 5, all three episodes, just debuted on Netflix, uh, so we watch them all, we're going to spoil them all, talk about them later today on the show. That's what we've got in store for you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, now, before we begin the episode, I do want to uh, read an email that someone wrote to me. Uh, uh, Chris from Fairfax, Virginia wrote to us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Um, Chris writes in, quote, on the last episode, you mentioned apprehension about diving into Chernobyl as if you weren't sure if you could take another depressing show right now. Pretty sure uh, Chris is talking about you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, Well, if you need a palate cleanser, I wanted to recommend a great comedic show on Hulu called Pen 15. Bad Mm. title, I know. (laughs) My wife and I found this show to be hilarious. And for anyone who was in middle school or high school in the late 90s or early 2000s, I think you'll find much of the subject matter very familiar. Who doesn't remember setting up their first AIM account and the stress of picking out the perfect screen name? Why is the show brilliant? For one, the two main characters, played by Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, are great comedic actresses in their 30s, playing 13-year-old versions of themselves. Everyone else in the show is played by age-appropriate actors to the part. If that sounds like just a gimmick to you, I recommend uh, an NYT article below about why it transcends the gimmick. <laughs> it's mostly comedic, but has a little drama thrown in as well. It's produced by Lonely Island. Hope you get a chance to check it out. Keep up the great work. And then, uh, Chris, here links to an article uh, entitled, Pen15 Goes Crudely, Sweetly Back to School, written by James Poniewozik. You know, I have seen that show. I forgot to talk about it here. Uh, it, it's funny, but it's also kind of a nightmare because it reminds me <laughs> exactly of middle school. So I, I don't know if this is quite the palate cleanser uh, they're uh, saying it is. I'll never forget when uh, Dan Trachtenberg told me about the Pen15 Club for the first time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd, never, I'd never heard of that. It wasn't a thing. I, maybe I was maybe it was, he's a little younger than I. Uh, so maybe it was uh, I missed it, but I'd never heard about the Pen15 Club uh in in school did you guys have the pen 15 club i i literally don't even know what you're talking about like i what, know of the it, pen but 15 my school did not have it yeah the yeah. pen 15 club is kids tell you you have to you if you join the pen 15 club you got to write pen 15 on your hand this at least this is how dan explained it to me uh-huh. and then uh you effectively have the word penis written on your hand right so you'd so like use like permanent a, marker or something the like that. Frank right? of now you have penis written on your hand and you have to explain it to the teacher <laughs> that you think you're in the Pen Fifteen Club. And I don't see. Re- everyone laughs at you uh, when you're in the Pen Fifteen Club and you don't realize that you have penis written on your hand. It's it's Kids pretty so it's pretty genius, I have to say. Yeah, like, yeah. If I do a, say so myself, it's a classic. But yeah. I I was unaware of that. I didn't have that uh, in my school, and then I remember very vividly. Uh, I, when we were doing the Totally Rad Show, Dan telling me about that at one point and how he fell for it. Uh, so, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Brutal. Pretty good. Brutal. So now, that's what I think of every time somebody mentions that TV show. I'm like, oh, the Pin 15 Club. Yeah. Pretty much that. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from Victoria L. in Adelaide, Australia, who writes in, Hi, Slash Filmcast folks. Uh, longtime listener. Really enjoy your show. I was thinking about Jeff's cat in the hat dilemma. Even mm. though I'm not a parent, I sympathize. I wanted to bring to your attention a very popular new kids cartoon here in Australia called Bluey. 
The episodes are only about 15 minutes each, and it follows the everyday life of an anthropomorphized family of Australian cattle dogs. Caught a few episodes on local TV, and even as an adult, I found it quite enjoyable. One element I found particularly touching, and what might be of interest to Jeff, is the very warm way it represents the dad's playful interaction with his little son and daughter. Just heard this show will be on USA Disney Plus near the end of the year. Um, so, Bluey is the name of the show from Australia. By the way, Jeff, I gotta congrats- say, yep. Go let, let me just no, read no, this. No, go ahead. Uh, by the way, Jeff, congratulations on your Dungeon Run show. Uh, though not a gamer, I design professional theater productions, and I also have a gaming miniature company called Victoria Miniatures, so it ticks a lot of boxes. I have enjoyed listening to it while at work. Thanks for all you do. Best wishes awesome. for the future. Yeah. So that wow. uh, comes in from Victoria from Australia. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, I have to say one of the best things about, about me bringing up uh, my frustrations with the cat in the hat knows about that is how many people have recommended better shows. Uh, I've gotten a bunch on Twitter and (laughs) some emails from people saying, hey, here's a better show for your kid. Um, One of which we've we've started watching, which is um, Stinky and Dirty. And I would never have given this show the time of day because the the art, the little, you know, icon for the show is, uh, uh, you know, a tractor or a dump truck and a garbage truck and then if you turn it on the first thing is stinky and dirty going out today and it's like oh it's just inane and you know celebrating being dumb but the show is (laughs) anything but that the show is the opposite of that it is really wonderful it is um the best way i could describe it is that it is like an old school point and click adventure game as a television show for kids, it's problem solving. It's a bunch. Uh, it, it's stinky and dirty. Are these two anthropomorphized trucks, and they run into problems every episode, and then they work through the process of trying to figure out the answers to them. And they try a bunch of different things, and they realize what works and what doesn't, and they sketch things out. And it's kind of like playing one of those old adventure games where you're like, okay, well, I let's try putting the bubble gum on the doorknob. No, that didn't work. Okay. Let's maybe try using the matchsticks. You know, it, it's like that. And they work it through a problem and they realize why that didn't work. And it's, I think it's such great approach to problem solving for kids, but I would never have given it the time of day based on the aesthetic. Uh, so thanks to somebody who, whoever it was that recommended that. And, and several other people have recommended great shows as well that I'm excited to, uh, explore with my, my two and a half year old. Well, I think what I've just learned, Jeff, is we need to make Jeff uh, sings opening theme songs of children's uh, television shows a regular part of the show. Um, do DuckTales, Jeff. Do DuckTales. Uh, uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, no, but, do Baby Shark. Do Baby Shark, <laughs> Oh, I can do Baby Shark. And yeah, we can, can all do, do Baby Shark. Gummy Bears, that was my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I can do I can do Donald Duck. I know you know that. Yeah, you're yeah. a good good Donald Duck impression. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks to uh, Victoria for writing in, and you can always write into us at slash at gmail dot com. We love uh, reading your emails and uh, reading some of them on the air. All right, let's get to it's wo- a duck blur. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's move on to what we've been watching now. I, I got to um, apologize is too strong of a word. Um, but you never do that because uh, uh-huh. you know what? Well, yeah, but apologies too strong a word. But like, for for reasons passing my control, beyond my control, Devendra got the impression that I was going to watch Dark Phoenix with him this week, so we could talk about it and what we were watching. 
And uh, if if he thought I wasn't going to see it, he might not have busted his ass to go see this movie today. I, 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 there, there I ran out the middle of the day, left my child to go see this damn movie. <laughs> by, him, by himself. Yeah, by herself. Oh, you know. By herself. My yeah. Mom. I knew that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was lame. I should have uh, just brought her with me just to see this thing, too. But yeah. I yeah. was part of a text chain of uh that was very clear that dave going <laughs> hey davindra are you seeing uh, D- yeah, why D- even ask why yeah. even ask and, and uh and, and davindra going ah, I'll, I'll definitely try to see it today uh, which to which dave did not respond oh i'm not you know <laughs> it, was, yeah, it, and it, it, it clearly seemed like hey i've already seen it are you seeing it yeah well look yeah. um sometimes you, you can't read the subtext sometimes you just got to read the text which Stakes in this made. case said absolutely nothing. But uh, Devendra, you went it's to go so see Dark Phoenix anyway, which is an ignominious end for the X Men, as far as I can tell. Pretty bad. Uh, yeah. It, I think it was one of the lowest X Men openings ever, uh, if not the the lowest ever. And uh, I, I was listening to uh, KCRW's The Business Podcast talk about how, in general, Fox has been a pretty good steward of the X Men franchise. I mean, I think that. Yeah. Uh, with with some hiccups here and there, uh, they have really milked this cash cow for all it's worth over the last uh, couple decades. And the hiccups have been pretty bad, to be to be fair. <laughs> like, is the this was never a Marvel situation for them, but I guess these things were successful enough that it was good for Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like billions of dollars that they've made from this, and uh, and I think I would dare say we got more good movies than bad out of it. You know, yes. like I think yeah. I think we got more good movies about like X2. There is some revisionist history happening out here. I see it on Twitter <laughs> all the time. And people are like, oh, man, I, I always hated those X-Men movies. They were always terrible. I'm like, X2, guys, X2 is such a perfect movie. It's such a great film. X2 and is X1, great. X-Men 1 yeah. in, in uh, when that first came out. Low in budget, 2000s. low budget, sure. But it, it, it kind of was one of the films that set the template. For exactly. what could be accomplished with superhero films, um, X Men First Class. I think a lot of the visual effects have aged poorly, but uh-huh. it really was a great uh, demonstration of how you could reboot a franchise with uh, younger actors, younger versions of those characters. X Men: Days of Future Past. That movie made over seven hundred million dollars uh, worldwide yep. when it came out, and it managed to combine two different versions of those characters a feat that i uh am still impressed by yeah. then you got and the deadpool movies timeline juggling by the way yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Days of Future Past. i think in the first 10 minutes of days of future past there's a great little you know that whole action sequence in the future yeah like they just like set up all these things like it's yeah uh, it's so well done you got visually. logan in 2017 which also did yeah. extremely well uh and then the deadpool films which were massive hits not quite connected but you know yeah enough they they are, I, think, I think there's some yeah. scenes that take place at the X Mansion, um, yes. but yeah. Uh, so like overall, there's like a, a lot of highs, a few lows, um, but a lot of highs. And uh, so I think we were all hoping that at the very least, uh, Dark Phoenix would kind of bring this uh, franchise to a satisfying conclusion that you're like, okay, hey, we spent so many hours. With these characters that are beloved, that are beloved, that it's like, hey, like this, this kind of puts a nice little bow on it, you know, it makes it all kind of worth it. She should be dead. Did you hear what the kids are calling you? Phoenix. Hello, Jean. Who are you? 
the better question is, who are you? Something's happening to me. When I lose control, bad things happen. But it feels good. That power destroyed everything it ever came into contact with. Until you. The X-Men fear you. And what they fear, we seek to destroy. What did you think of Dark Phoenix, Devendra? Well, it's, you know, it's not great. How about that? Uh, it is it is kind of everything I feared. But I, you know, I do have to say, like, this is not, I don't think it's a terrible movie. I don't think it's the worst X-Men movie. Uh, certainly X-Men Origins Wolverine is worse than this. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse is a movie I loathe the more I think about it. This is a pretty standard X-Men movie with some pretty, um, you know, solid set pieces. Early on, there's a sequence where the X-Men have to go into space to save uh, astronauts from the space shuttle. So they, they take the X-Plane, they just they take it into space. This is a great little sequence where Nightcrawler has to, like, teleport through space. It looks really cool. Like, there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, but, yeah, it kind of falls apart because this is trying to tell the epic Dark Phoenix saga. That is a thing, you know, beloved in the comics. Uh, was kind of a defining thing for Jean Grey as a character. Kind of hard to do as a movie. They already failed to do it in uh, X3. Well, this this will be basically yeah. the third time we've seen the Dark Phoenix story depicted on screen. X3 was obviously supposed to be a Dark Phoenix origin story. Yep. But um, the, the filmmakers and most of the world seem to have forgotten that at the end of X-Men Apocalypse, uh, you know... Charles Xavier is like, use your use your powers, Gene. You know, and like she theoretically becomes Dark Phoenix in that movie, which I believe well, I mean, she, is not even like referenced. Crawling. She was like, it's a thing that was supposed to lead to this, basically. Like the whole idea is that, you know, the uh, the the entity or whatever is uh, is being attracted to Gene. So I think there, if there was some better narrative involved, uh, she didn't quite become Dark Phoenix there, but it was kind of it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing about Jean Grey and her untapped potential. Yada yada yada. Um, this movie. This movie is kind of a mess. Uh, written and directed by Simon Kimberg, who has written some of the other X-Men movies. Uh, notably, also, I think, co-wrote uh, X3. So it, it's like another attempt for him to retell this story. Uh, it does feel like the work of a first-time filmmaker. Like Narratively, it's kind of sloppy. It's not super visually distinctive. Some of the pieces do look good. Um, but I think the thing about this movie is that, in general... The the blood was in the water, basically, <laughs> like people sensed a franchise kind of flailing. And it is it is kind of funny and fascinating to watch entertainment media like just really go at something. Right. You know, like, oh, man, look at look at this limping little franchise. Uh, oh, they're going to release a movie. Oh, man, it's it's very cute. Uh, you know, amidst like Avengers Endgame. And everything like it's just it seems like the narrative was kind of self-written in a way like and also audiences also don't seem to be really interested in another X-Men movie after Apocalypse. So there's a lot of blood in the water, I'd say. Um, I look at the Rotten Tomato score, which is very, very low. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's like as bad as a lot of the reporting I'm hearing, but certainly it's not a great movie. Uh, it, it's just kind of a tough thing to talk about. Like, I wish the franchise had something better to go out on uh, something like Logan which actually wrapped up the storylines, you know, for Hugh Jackman and for, uh, uh, for uh, Patrick other characters. Yeah. 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 Um, the idea that, that, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I'm, I'm kind of a Marvel zombie from way back. And mm-hmm. the idea that they would make a big budget 
Hollywood version of the Dark Phoenix saga, and I would have no desire to go see it. Yeah. Just it kind of boggles my mind. The timing it, is pretty bad, I think, because it's like amidst Avengers mania. Like we're still like reeling from Endgame. We're all like a little superheroed out. Apocalypse was so bad. Um, somebody had a report about basically the mess involved with this movie. Was it a Hollywood Reporter? Deadline. Variety? Deadline. Uh, Deadline. Yeah, yeah. You you, you notice it, uh, whenever movie. a movie does badly, there's always like a lot of people who want to talk to the trades about why it went exactly. badly. Yeah. Uh, and how it's specific people's fault that it went badly. It's an it's inter- interesting phenomenon. Um, really but uh, we should say that Simon Kimberg, like in my opinion, Simon Kimberg is like an incredibly talented um, screenwriter. He directed an episode of The Twilight Zone this year. He's also mm-hmm. like behind the Twilight Zone reboot. But he's also uh, contributed to uh, some of my favorite movies like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, he was involved in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. Um, uh, I'm surprised not mentioned Jumper. Yeah, Jumper, great film, time. great film, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Days of Future Past. You know, so like he's he, had, he's he, had a good run, but there's also like he did that Fantastic Four, the reboot. Like it's he is credited yeah. for X Men Apocalypse. Like these things are a mess because a lot of people are involved, right? So it's hard to tell. It, who it's, gets what yeah, it's hard to tell who yeah. like who's responsible for who. I did hear that. He, I'm not 100 percent sure, so like don't hold me to this. But I I think I read that he. Helped to take over yes. uh, Fantastic Four after Josh Trank was kind of removed from that project. And also pretty much the same with X-Men Apocalypse, according to that deadline story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. he is the guy who kind of comes in when directors kind of fall apart, which uh, I mean, not really a solid point, though, because the end result with those movies were still kind of a mess. So, yeah. Well, I think he's worked on I, I think he is he's gotten more hits than misses. I'm sorry to hear that this one. Uh, didn't go super well, and like I, f- from everything I've read about the film, I haven't seen it yet, obviously. But from everything <laughs> I've read, it's the the biggest issue with Dark Phoenix is that it doesn't evolve. Like it, it doesn't evolve the X Men franchise from its origins. Like it's it's a lot of the the exact same dynamic between like Charles and um uh what's his name uh Magneto. Magneto. Um, no, I mean, not quite. I think there there are some things like in this movie. Charles Xavier is basically kind of a drunken megalomaniac. And I think that's kind of interesting. Like Mm. this guy who brings in all these, you know, uh, talented mutant children uh, in this movie, at least is portrayed as like kind of an asshole who's like putting these kids in danger for his own self gain and like to make mutants look better. Like there are some interesting ideas they toss around in this movie. So it's not uh, uh, the same yeah. thing as it's not like the whole like, oh, Eric thinks they're evil and Charles thinks they're good dynamic. That's been... Like yeah, they maybe bounce around a little what's happened before in the movies, but it's not that like it's it All is right. a little different. Like the, those are things like I kind of appreciate. Uh, I think the very last half, maybe the last third of this movie is a complete mess. And that's also maybe why so many of the reviews are just vicious about it, because mm. you could tell like there were some last act problems. Uh, the, a lot of the final set piece, there's a set piece in New York, which is just kind of a mess. It just doesn't work. And it's kind of boring. Uh, the most boring Newton superpower fight I can imagine uh, set, you know, in a New York city street. Uh, so yeah, a lot of problems. I wish the series had a better time uh to run out basically but i don't know like what do you do with the x-men now you basically wait five years and maybe bring them into the mcu somehow i guess that's the only path for it probably that seems like where things are going so uh that's dark phoenix that's what davinger's been watching uh davinger you watching anything else this week also i've been watching uh the latest season of bosch bosch season five 
Uh, I wish uh, I w- wish more people were watching Bosch. Basically, I have nobody to talk about Bosch. I just I, I go outside and I shout Bosch. Yeah. I get nothing. You need to <laughs> hang out with my in-laws. It's all they talk about. It they, is. My... It is a very good like parent show. Like this oh my is a God. show. My dad it... loves the show. Uh, I have talked to dads and like older <laughs> folks who really dig it. Uh, I, uh, the, for five seasons, I've been telling you people. Go, go watch Bosch. Okay, basically, it is it is a police procedural. It is very much a procedural where the police chief is always shouting Bosch, and the uh, you know he's always getting trouble. He's always doing doing, doing doing things <laughs> his own way. Uh, but it is it is so fun and pulpy and so well made. It is such a great like neo noir look at like a modern LA detective. It's just the right amount of campy, right? I've mentioned this before. Uh, similar to Miami Vice. Uh, Bosch lives in a multi-million dollar mansion on the Hollywood cliff sides, I guess, um, because at some point uh, he he sold the rights to his story and they made a movie about his story within the show. So that's why he has a fancy mansion. It's just one of those things. It's like Miami Vice and the was it Crockett having a having a houseboat and an alligator. It's like one of those cute campy things. I really dig it. The show's still very good and acting great all all around. If you like cop shows, I think this is the this is like the culmination of so many great pulpy cop shows. Watch it if you like cop stuff. All right. That's Bosch Season 5. It is streaming right now on Amazon Prime Video. I saw a bunch of stuff. Uh, let's see how much I can get through uh, in the next 10, 15 minutes. First of all, I want to mention that I saw Always Be My Maybe on Netflix. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. This is a romantic comedy starring Randall Park and Ali Wong. Uh, and I had a great time watching it. Um, it is kind of kind of this year's Crazy Rich Asians, I would say, in the sense that, uh, from what I can tell, it's a very successful movie that stars two Asian American leads, uh, and it's like a a fun romantic comedy that nails many aspects of the Asian American experience in a way that I found to be very charming and endearing. There, um, there, there is one scene in that movie where kids walk into a house, take off their shoes, hold their shoes, the camera tracks them as they walk through the house and go to the backyard, uh, and then put their shoes back on. I kind of love that because it's. I also had to do that with my family. <laughs> it is great, uh, and uh, it, so I want to say I want to plug a video I made with my wife um, about "Always Be My Maybe." We basically watched the entire film uh, and then talk about many of the aspects of it that uh, we found resonated with our own experiences. So we'll link to it in the show notes, uh, and you can also find it on my YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. Uh, if you want a 30-minute discussion of Always Be My Maybe, uh, that's where you should go. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we talked about that scene, Devinder, where, the, yeah, there is a shot where these kids run into a house, uh, and they run out the back, and they take off their shoes when, when they so go good. in. And they could have just – they, didn't, like they yeah. didn't need to put that in the movie. They could have just started that, uh, that scene in the backyard. Yeah. But they yep. showed it to be like, hey, these kids are extremely well behaved and they understand this is how it works. This is okay. how it works. Yeah. And so I, I also love like this is a good uh, it's a good thing for basically Randall Park and also his uh, fresh off the boat director in the Khan. Yeah. So, yeah, you're getting the crew back together, making this thing. I will say it's really enjoyable. I think I I, don't know, I feel like I wish they had a little more time to like polish up the script or something, because this is one of those comedies that relies a lot on ADR jokes. So it does feel like sometimes they like throw in throw in like a quip, like after the fact, like after it was filmed or something and things don't quite connect sometimes. Uh, but overall, still fun and a great, uh, great cameo in there, too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> agreed. Uh, so, yeah, always be my movie. It's on Netflix right now. It's a fun romantic comedy, pretty family friendly overall. 
uh, I think it's uh, well worth checking out. And especially if you're Asian American, it's amazing that we have the opportunity to see our stories on the small and big screen these days and to share them with the world. And I think <laughs> films like Always Be My Maybe uh, allow that to happen. So it, it's really the little things, too. Like I was there's one scene in this movie where um, a character is preparing uh, kanji in like very lovingly and very beautifully. And it, it is just like it is a thing done with respect for the dish. And then I also saw The Perfection, which uh, I'll talk about that later at some point, I guess. Um, the Perfection in that movie, kanji is this gross dish. That one scene was kind of shitty. Anyway, always be by maybe on Netflix. Check it out. Speaking of films on Netflix, um, I had a chance to check out I Am Mother, which is a new science fiction movie. Uh, and I will be extremely vague in describing the plot. It's basically like this, uh, this girl, uh, wakes up in this scientific facility, uh, this kind of sci sci fi esque facility with a robot, uh, that calls, uh, itself her mother. Uh, and she is kind of like raising the, the, the robot kind of raises this girl and you, as the viewer, are, like, privy to what happens with them. And you're kind of just, like, the whole movie, you're just trying to figure out, like, what is actually going on here? Like, what what is the relationship between these characters? Like, wh- what is the backstory here? How do they wind up in this situation? And it kind of presents, like, a really interesting mystery. Um, and so I actually quite liked this movie. I think it is not quite as good as a movie like Moon. Uh, but it's extremely similar in terms of its themes and its mm-hmm. quality. Uh, and I would nonetheless recommend it. I find it to be a very engrossing movie. Um, it kind of, it's like, uh, raises similar questions to movies like Moon and The Matrix about, uh, what it means to be human and humankind's relationship to technology. Uh, and it has an amazing performance by a, uh, the main actress, Clara Rugard. Uh, who anchors this movie and it just it's really rare to see a child performance or a, you know somebody in her teens anchor a film in a way that i uh really appreciated and, and was like wow that was like a really great performance um but this actress in i am mother does that so re- recommend it have you guys heard of this it, it might have popped up on your netflix recommendation yeah 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 yeah, yeah, I'm definitely uh, interested in seeing yeah, it. Yeah, check it out. It's like it's pretty It looks sure. good. I will say do not watch the Netflix trailer. They have a bad habit of just like <laughs> spilling everything about their movies in the trailers. Like they are much worse than Hollywood trailers. Mm. I don't know what is up with Netflix. Yeah, Jeff, but, do not uh, do not do not which do for, for Jeff means like you cannot even pause yeah, the cursor. Yeah. You gotta keep on... moving like a shark. Yeah, don't yeah. don't pause. Yeah, you can only yeah, pause yeah. it on something you've already yeah. watched. Didn't uh, Edgar Wright yelled at them about their trailer for The World's End, which kind of just put like the twist of that movie right out there. Mm. Whereas I think all the theatrical trailers tr- yeah. tried to like you know hint around it, basically. You know what I do? You know what my actual? <laughs> funny you guys bring this up, but my actual uh-huh. Netflix strategy is always pause on a stand-up comedy special. <laughs> wow, because uh, those yeah. trailers are delightful. It's good. Nice. No spoilers Good strategy. There. Good strategy. I mean, I guess you spoil a few jokes, but, you know, no big whoop. All right. <laughs> um, well, that's I Am Mother, and it's available on Netflix right now. Uh, also wanted to give a quick shout-out to a movie called The Farewell, which is directed by Lulu Wong. Uh, I actually had a chance to interview Lulu at the Seattle International Film Festival. Had a great time speaking with her. That conversation will be out at SlashFilm.com uh, in July. And uh, I'll just say what the premise of The Farewell is. Uh, it is a movie about uh, a 
uh, a struggling artist played by Aquafina, who's showing a side of herself that she doesn't usually show uh, on the big screen. Uh, this is a very like tender, uh, understated role that's unlike anything I've seen from her before. And she finds out her grandmother is dying. And her family uh, does not tell her. A- as is Chinese custom, apparently, her family does not tell her grandmother that her grandmother's dying. So they, they, they find out the test results and uh, they don't tell her because they don't want to distress her. Because apparently, like, it, in, in Chinese culture, like, the fear of, of dying is, is almost as bad as actually having the thing that might kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was stunned when I watched this movie because I didn't know that that was something that was prevalent in Chinese culture. It's something that is liter- would literally be illegal in the United States. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, apparently people do. I texted my parents after watching this movie. I said, hey, I saw this movie called The Farewell. And uh, apparently, like, people don't tell people that they're dying. And she, and my mom was like, yeah, that's the thing that happens. I'm like, oh. Uh, so <laughs> hey, this is a movie that actually helped me, like, connect with my culture uh, in, in a meaningful way. Uh, I actually thought this movie was great. Uh, it is going to be out in theaters in July. It's going to be distributed by A24, which is a company that – uh, it does a really good job picking great, uh, great films that you might not otherwise not otherwise get a chance to see. You know, like film festival darlings that uh, wouldn't otherwise get wide distribution. A two four picks them up, sends them out into the world, um, and uh, that's what's going to happen with the farewell in July. And I strongly recommend this movie. Um, this is another movie that features a lot of Asian Americans. It is not at all like Crazy Rich Asians though, um, because it deals with very different themes. But it is still uh, very meaningful, very heartfelt, uh, and very illustrative of the Asian American experience, or at least the Chinese American experience, in ways that I found to be uh, surprising and moving. So that is The Farewell, and I watched it at the Seattle International Film Festival this year. Uh, and that's what I've been watching. You know, I, There's a couple other things I do. I, I'll, I'll give a quick shout-out to The Act which is a movie, a show, I should say, that was recommended by one of our listeners. Um, and I, I will say, the reason I don't, I'm not going to go into full review is because I found this show so upsetting Oh yeah, that I couldn't like pay full attention to it uh, watching it. You know, like what I mean by that is like, <laughs> I, I would like let it play in the background and like maybe I skipped a couple episodes um, because it is it is extremely distressing what happens. You didn't in the show. stop watching it, but no. you just stopped paying attention to because, it. Because listen, like, listen the, it's 2019. We can't not watch things, okay? Because the craft the craft is actually really good, Jeff. Like yeah. it's it's uh, actually like a really well made show. But which you would probably notice if you paid attention. That's to right. It. That's correct. Um, but yeah, the the performances by Joey King and Patricia Arquette are marvelous. This is based on that real life story. It's too, based right? on a real life story, which we will not yeah. like. I knew so little you can, about it. You can't it. even mention like what the. Thing I don't even is. want to reveal what the premise is. Oh, don't even want to reveal on. what the premise is. I, I will say like this. Uh, this show is also created by Nick Antosca, who did uh, uh, Channel Zero that I recommended a couple years oh. ago, and that's a horror show. So yeah. I feel like he's bringing some of that over here. I, sure. I so I had just finished watching Chernobyl, and I'm not gonna. I'm not lying. Watching the act was more upsetting than watching Chernobyl because. <laughs> Because um, Chernobyl was was largely a story about like incompetence and you know uh, institutions that 
like institutions and lies that that were damaging. But many of the lies were not uh, committed maliciously. Do you know what I mean? Like it, people were just trying to save their own ass, or they were trying to like fall in line into the to, to, with the party line, uh, toe the line with with the party. Um, the act is about like acts of wanton cruelty that uh, is like really difficult to comprehend for me. And I imagine for you guys, I mean, Dimitri, have you seen the show? How much of the show have you seen? I've seen the first couple episodes. Yeah. So, like, as parents, like, I would imagine mm-hmm. that you would find it to be, like, unbelievable what happens in this yeah, show. Yeah, I don't so, think I'm going to keep watching for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, like, what ha- like the premise is crazy, and then what happens afterwards is, like, even more outlandish and, and uh, ludicrous. So... Uh, I, I this kind of sent me down a rabbit hole. Like I, I kind of like read you know a dozen articles about what actually happened with the real life case that this is based on. Um, I can't say that I watched the whole thing because of reasons I've already explained. But I do think that the situation uh, that the act is about is fascinating, and the performances are really really solid and like enough to make me recommend this show, which is on Hulu right now. So that's the act. It's on Hulu. Thanks to our listener who wrote in about that. Jeff Kanata, my question for you is, you know, I, I, I messaged Jeff this after, after our uh, our discussion last week. But, like, Jeff, are you going to uh, uh, be able to watch Chernobyl or The Act? Are any of these shows uh, going to make it onto your radar? I think at some point I'll watch Chernobyl. I'm yeah. not going to watch The Act. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. smart. That, that's Probably for the wise move, wise move. Uh, but yeah. I definitely think you should watch. Like I think like Chernobyl think, is so yeah. your jam. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. Is my that... wife and I have already talked about it. We got uh, we're, you know we're finishing up Fleabag right now. And then we got season three of Sneaky Pete uh, because we're huge Sneaky Pete fans. Mm. And then I think Chernobyl might be after that. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it once you finish it. So that's what we've been watching this week. Before we move on. Uh, we got to thank our donors for this week. Um, uh, there is a donor who wanted me to shout out his three-minute short film called Mulk, M-U-L-K. You can find it by Googling Mulk Esposito with an E-S. What a typo. Yep. What a typo. Um, I don't I don't know if that's a typo, but uh, no. yeah. Uh, we also got a donation from Joey Jacket Big Butt of the Northeastern Big Butts. Nice. Um, so Northeastern Big Butt's very famous. Thanks to Joey Jacket Big Butt for that donation. Thanks to James H. from New York City, New York, uh, for his donation as well. And if you want to support the Slash Filmcast, help us defray the cost of doing the show, going to see films like Dark Phoenix, you can go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Um, or go to SlashFilm.com. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page on the Slash Filmcast tab. Never donate if it in any way causes you hardship. But if you do want to support us, we really appreciate it. And, of course, if you want to support us for free, just go to Apple Podcasts. Go to wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review for us. Leave a star rating. It takes a few seconds, and it's free. So thanks so much for, for all of our donors this week. We really appreciate it. Let's move on to our review of Black Mirror Season 5. <laughs> There's a whole load of police here. Think they're worried you're gonna hurt yourself. Or someone else. Lonely feelings. Family life. It's boring. Lonely feelings. So here's yours, guy. What is it? 
to me. Lonely feeling. I don't have many friends. Rachel, you look incredible. You've got 20,000 fans out there. Knock them dead. Before we dive into spoilers for every single one of these episodes, uh-huh. let's just like take a moment to give like overall thoughts on the season. I think like for for many people, what I've perceived is Black Mirror has kind of become a parody of itself. Like people are, are really, uh, from my like very uh, insulated Twitter bubble timeline, people seem to be like not super excited about Black Mirror anymore. Um, that it's just basically like extremely monotonous and very much like oh it's the same message all the time technology is evil the message is so simplistic blah 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 uh and so i was kind of curious and also like coming off of bandersnatch which i thought was pretty bad i was very doubtful that black mirror but at least interesting right like yeah that was a good experiment you gotta try you gotta try things you know you gotta try to push uh the art form forward and and i do admire that but like uh that's a that's a season or episode that i've never gone back to and have no Mm -hmm. regrets about going not going back to um uh, so in that context i was very nervous that black mirror season five would be a complete waste of time and uh i actually thought it was decent is what i would say i i I thought there was enough interesting ideas here that uh i actually did not regret my time in the black mirror universe how about you divinger hardware i will say decent is a good word yeah i think overall like i enjoyed the last season more the last full season which was season four with a USS Calster yeah. and all those fun things. Great and, like, episode. Hang the DJ and Metalhead, which I like Metalhead just because it was such a specific thing. Uh, that season had six episodes, so it was able to like have a couple misses and still be great overall, I'd say. Um, but last season, I definitely noticed, like, man, Charlie Brooker just needs some new blood in this franchise. Like, he, he needs some writing help because it seems like he's hitting the same ideas again. Uh, over and over, and, I and think we should say season, like he's right. He's he's apparently the only credited screenwriter of every single episode. There are and, a couple that he didn't. Um, what USS Calistar he co-wrote with somebody, and there was another one. Shut up and dance. And yeah, but this uh, this season, yeah. I think he is. Um, oh yeah, this season is everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can you can feel that because a lot of the I think they all kind of echo the last some of the ideas he's explored already there are some notable things like i think um when we talk about striking vipers like the the context of that is kind of interesting in the way he explores it but overall i it just feels weak to me it feels like he needs some new blood even um uh even what um uh, twilight zone guy was able to like Simon uh, Jordan no, Peele? no, the 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 original Twilight Zone. Rod Serling. Uh, Rod Serling. Yeah, <laughs> was able to bring in like he wrote most of those episodes, which is genius, like insane. <laughs> but he still also brought in like notable science fiction writers for some episodes too, and I think that kind of helped out. So maybe maybe I take a page from that. So I think you're saying there's there's a bit of sameness that kind of has seeped into the writing and the ideas of the show, um, but. Uh, there is enough decent there to make it worth yeah. uh, talking about. I, I think it's worth watching. I just think the earlier seasons are much, much better. Going to do the hipster thing uh, <laughs> because they, they felt sharper. They felt more interesting at the time. Maybe the problem is we basically live in a Black Mirror episode now. So yeah. his commentary maybe has a little less weight. But I fleshed out my ideas more at an Engadget article, too. So just look that up, too. Many Black Mirror things that have been foretold, right? Like... Many of the things that Black Mirror warned us against have actually come true, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what you're referring to, right? Like, like how how can we like you? You just need to kick it up a notch 
if you're going to continue to be successful as a show, and maybe uh, you're experiencing some diminishing returns there. Yeah. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Black Mirror Season 5 overall? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about Black Mirror Season 5 are best summed up in the form of two limericks. Whoa! Two, two limericks. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't be done with just one. Yeah. Uh, first one, four seasons of Mirror's Dark so many episodes hit the mark, but in season five, it takes a nosedive. Has it actually jumped the shark? Nice. I, yeah. Sorry. I thought I, I didn't know if it was a two-parter limerick. No, the second one, uh, the reason the first one exists is because the second one is a stretch, but I went for it <laughs> and I feared you guys would get mad. So here's the second one. The show used to make my fears clearer about what tomorrow brings nearer. If that's what it does, it's perfect because Black Mirror maybe just got black mirrored. Wow. Nice. You get it? See, if it's like about the fact that if you keep progressing, things get bad, then if the show kept progressing, things got bad on the show. I don't know. It was kind of a stretch. So I was like, "Eh, it's not going to be good. People are going to hate it. It works. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Good effort. Yeah. I I guess I agree with you guys that there is stuff worth seeing. I I will get into the details. I think there's one episode that I would say is good. Um, But I think in season five, basically there are three amazing act ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And usually this show is all about an awesome act three, you know, like that's the sort of twilight zone black mirror model is the act three that hits you like a wallop. And yeah, there are always great ideas in this series. And that's what I love. I love the, you know, just around the corner idea of what technology is going to do to our lives. And, and this season retains that brilliant view of, of what the subtlety of what tech might be like day after tomorrow. Uh, I love that. Every episode has a beautiful piece of just pure design of what technology may do to our lives. Although I guess the second episode doesn't because is it the only episode of Black Mirror that takes place present day? Um, I, I think the very first episode of Black Mirror ever also takes place in present day. Mm. That was very mm. much present day. Yeah. Yeah. Right, there's, right. there's several that take place kind of in present day. So Anyway, yeah. I, I think generally speaking, the, the first and third episodes uh, have great sort of future tech design moments. And there are still really clever ideas. The this, this show isn't hurting for ideas. It just never sticks the landing. Mm-hmm. And it... It feels like – I mean we'll get into details in the specific episodes, but each of them feels really uh, simplistic and unsophisticated in a show that has always been very sophisticated and complex. And I, I find that to be disappointing, which is why I posited the question that it may have jumped the shark. I hope that's not the case. I love this show and I want more of it, but it, it this season really felt like a low point for me. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, even lower than Bandersnatch, you think? Bandersnatch, I I don't even. It's it was doing something so different. Yeah, yeah. That it, it was just like felt like an experiment. It wasn't part of an actual season. It was just this one off thing, and it it felt to me like this wild experiment that succeeded sometimes and didn't other times, and had a lot to do with me and what I did. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it didn't feel like I, I don't. I wouldn't say that was a failure or or a success i mean i guess i would put make it a success it was something yeah. different and really interesting and bizarre i had a lot uh, of fun I, with bandersnatch i didn't yeah. regret my time with it even i agree you know, it was I a couple agree. hours yeah all right 
Um, well, why don't we dive into the uh, the specific episodes then? So yeah. from now on, from this point forward, when we mention an episode title, you should assume that we're going to spoil it. All right. So here we go for spoilers for Black Mirror season five starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Let's start with the first episode, Striking Vipers. Now, Jeff, which, by the way, by the way, (laughs) I can imagine Charlie Brooker cackling at himself when he came up with that title. Because that is that is like uh you know that is like a Reynolds Woodcock level of like a really really cheesy funny uh title that that's kind of like immature at the same time but he makes it work in this. Yeah, uh, you know, my first reaction was striking striking viper sounds like a dumb name for a video game, but is it any uh-huh. dumber than Mortal Kombat with a K? Oh, you know no, what no, I mean? no, it works yeah. for the game and it works for uh what what the show is implying basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So, Jeff, you had a pretty uh, interesting experience. You had a chance to watch uh, this episode of Black Mirror with your mother. Is that correct? Yeah, I had a chance. I had oh that, that awesome chance. Oh boy! <laughs> so my mom was my my wife went out of town for work for several days, and my mom came into town to help out with childcare. And I knew I had to watch this for the show. And literally every other episode of black mirror I've ever watched in my life would have been just fine and dandy to watch with my mom. I think she's, she she would have been fine with the pig sex even. Well, okay. Maybe that one would have been a little, but even that is just like, is, is more of like a humorous. What if than an entire episode of a hardcore pounding? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it could not have worked out more badly and for comedy. me uh, comedy right it there. was literally like like literally any other of the episodes of the if that hadn't been the first one i just sat down i was like hey mom i gotta watch black mirror do you want to watch an episode with me before you go to bed sure i all right i'm intrigued by the show let's let's turn it on it starts <laughs> just, by the way is where watching trailers could really help you out yeah i guess <laughs> but I, I mean this everything the show had shown me before i i grant you the pig screwing episode was extreme but even that is like i don't think that would even have been a big deal with my mom because it's so out there and weird yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah this was just like i'm sitting there with these extended sex scenes <laughs> <laughs> sitting next to my mom just going please end please please end please end um yeah and then she turns to me at the end and she's like I just don't understand why the sex with each other in the video game was better than real life. And I was like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, mom. Oh, I thought she'd be like, is this what you do, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, this is my job, mom. This is my job. Uh, aren't you proud? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was excruciating. So I'm sure part of my reaction to this episode is colored slightly by that experience. Um, but I also think, again, a really wonderful first act, uh, you know, mm-hmm. despite jumping right in with, uh, with sexy time as a, as young people, I have lived that thing that they show at the beginning, which is, you know, you marry the love of your life. Uh, oh, you, I thought you, you were you talking have, about you... the having sex indiscriminately at clubs, um, mm. but you're not. Very... Well, let's, 
let's not go into that, David. Um, no, but I mean, the, uh, the whole point was that they were a very committed relationship and they were just role playing at the beginning. And it, it's very much, um, you know, a, a wonderful relationship that then transforms as we jump 11 years later into being married with kids and different responsibilities. I have lived the that. suburbs, I'm li- man, I'm living the that suburbs. Right? So I was relating hard to this show and I was like, Oh man, this is so well, realize this this feeling of like oh man the you've settled down and you're 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 living different lives now and i i was relating to it um not that i feel any you know bad about my life but just that that you have that sense of connection and and i felt like it really was doing that well and then and i'm a video gamer and like friends that you don't see anymore and all that stuff i was like in it and i honestly feel like this episode could have worked in a weird way of presenting this notion as Black Mirror has done in the past of how technology is going to change interpersonal relationships in the future. But I don't think the, this episode really cared about making that point. They could have easily made it about how when we have technology and we're able to relate to each other in a virtual space, there's going to be different rules. But it it just – it played it for – a goofy factor. And I think a lot of that is because for some dumb reason, the show was determined to make this a fighting game that turned into a sex game rather than doing the much, I think more obvious and believable thing, which is have it be some virtual reality space where all of that is possible. But throughout the whole Jeff, I've played dead or alive. I know why some (laughs) people play dead or alive. Okay. Like this, this is not that far of a stretch. Let's you're talking say. about jiggle physics. I know yeah. you're talking about yeah, jiggle yeah, physics. Yeah. But I, I just I I found myself just going down the dumb rabbit hole in my head that the show should never have put mm-hmm. me down. Which is why does this game work like this? <laughs> how are the, how is the functionality built into this fighting Didn't game? Did they, they know just, this would happen? Yeah, it's, it's the stupidest thing. And, and <laughs> it just it, it makes the whole thing feel hokey and lame when the show really doesn't want you to feel that way. It wants you to actually think about mm-hmm. who these guys are and what it means for them. And, and it's taking itself super seriously. But I could never go there because of how goofball the whole thing played. <laughs> I, I think they're not. Uh, yeah. So so I think like a c- couple things, right, that uh, are, are evident about the fighting game is uh, it's preposterous that the people who made this fighting game would then also program that like the sex functionality into it. Like yeah. that is and at best, even, even the pain functionality, like why would they program me to feel pain? Right. It, it makes me think of that. At, at best, at best, the sex function is an orthogonal, uh, function to the main purpose of the game. At best. I think that's, I think we're supposed to believe that the simulation is so I- I- extreme yeah. that you are able to do literally anything you want in there. Right. Which also is a huge stretch because <laughs> why, why would you do that? And then just put it, put it out as a fighting game. You know, it's like, we've, we've mastered this like person simulation technology that is like yeah. groundbreaking. Why not sell uh, that? Yeah. Well, th- yeah. that's the thing Jeff pointed out when I was texting with him about this is like they could have easily just made this like a second life uh, type of game, you know. But the fact that it's a fighting game, you know, I, I think it's I think yeah. the fighting game, obviously, like there's something it, this episode wants to say about these people, these characters like masculinity and like yes. how yes. it manifests itself through uh, through these games. 
Um, and, you know, Kotaku recently released uh, a- an article about how, like, for men, gaming is a way to keep in touch uh, that, like, you mm-hmm. can't otherwise do um, on the phone. You know, like most guys, I'm not going to call you up and just say, Hey, let's hang out for an hour and chat. Yeah. But but if we're both doing some inane, you know, we're both playing destiny Two and not even really talking, we're just sort of doing that in the background while what we're really there for is to have a two hour conversation with each other. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And like, so for many men, like video games are a a huge part of their social fabric. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that the show really said anything interesting about that but i think that it like at least uses that as a, a, the the backdrop yeah in a way that i thought is like very appropriate for the times i think it's very like it's relatable for a lot of the audience too it's a nice it's a nice little bait and switch basically it's like oh yeah I, i've always like just hung around at night and i get i get a friend request from a friend to jump into something like uh, it happens to everybody uh does not happen like this i will say <laughs> Do, it... does not go down this line usually Davinja, did you like this episode? I really like this episode. Here's the thing. I think this is the strongest episode of the season because at least um, I think what what Charlie Brooker is bringing up here is, first of all, uh, you know, two men uh, who find this like connection uh, two men basically having sex together. But virtually one of the men also has a female avatar and really enjoys that experience, too. Like it doesn't. I really appreciate the fact that this episode didn't really make funny of any of this. Like it does feel like it handles a lot of this respectfully. And by the end, we get to a situation where like, okay, the relationship that works out is that, you know, um, the husband and wife kind of agree to this situation and uh, the wife is free to go do her own thing. Maybe, maybe not the thing she signed up for when she got married, but she's free to do something else. Uh, It's kind of like a future open marriage in a way. And I found that really interesting and really respectful at least. So I like that about it. Uh, I don't like, I don't like the, Oh man, the suburbs are pretty bad. (laughs) Huh? Really sucks to live in the suburbs because nothing has ever made this commentary before. Like that stuff I could care less about. Also, aren't you, aren't you thinking about moving to the suburbs? Is that something you're considering? Who knows? Who knows? Because like, first of all, I just, you can't afford to buy a place in New York. That's a whole other separate thing. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like, I don't need that American beauty commentary because we've seen it so much. Um, but I think Anthony Mackie really sells this. Yeah. Yeah. Abdul Mateen sells relationship. Like there's the interpersonal stuff I think is really interesting. So even though the mechanics of like, Oh, this being a fighting game really doesn't make sense. That's fine. I, I think it was like a fun way to have, uh, a lark of a, basically a black mirror moral combat fully realized fight sequence and fully realized world. And I found that kind of funny. Like the, even the little bits where they are actually fighting, I think look really fun. We have not seen that in any like live action thing since like what the, the Mortal Kombat movies, I well, guess. I, I would say that what this move, those fighting scenes were okay, extremely silly. Uh, and they really made me appreciate what Edgar Wright did in Scott Pilgrim versus yes. the world. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> like, like if you rewatch like the the fighting scenes of Scott Pilgrim versus the world, that is, it made me realize like that is probably one of the truest realizations we will ever yes. see of that concept. Yes, uh, and it is also much superior to what we see in this episode. Which you know, whatever this is, one episode of a you know season five of a show, so I don't expect the production value to be that high. But it's kind of like once 
once you've seen Scott Pilgrim, it kind of ruins you on this kind of thing because it's like very, very few things can actually measure up to that in terms of using yeah. cinema to actually depict a fighting game. So uh, my thoughts on this episode, Jeff, uh, I actually also thought it was more good than bad. Um, mm. here, here are the great things about it. One is that Anthony Mackie's performance uh, is amazing, uh, as well as uh, the actor who plays his wife in, the, in this episode. Um, there is a deadness in his eyes and his affect that is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> That's really all there is, though, in this episode for him. For, like, yeah, for uh, the opening part yeah. of the episode, like he, the, the way he like goes through the motions of suburban life is just terrifying. It's like, um, you know, what, ran- what other random thing came to mind is like when you know, uh, in, in It's a Wonderful Life, when like. Uh, he, the guy Jimmy Stewart comes back and he like is in he's talking to like the cabbie and like that guy that cab driver ha- has like such a miserable look on his face. It's kind of like these small moments that show you like the intense misery that these characters live in uh, all the time, for which you are just intercepting them at a small part of, uh, is truly haunting. And I think they do a great job. And like there is um the, the stuff between him and his wife is extremely compelling. It is really like. It doesn't barely even has to do with technology, right? It's it's about like what happens uh, when a marriage goes on for an extremely long time and the passion is gone. It reminded me honestly of like Fences, the Denzel Washington movie, and like there's like some sure. great speechifying in that about like their marriage, the marriage between Denzel Washington's character and Viola Davis's character, and like the things they have had to give up um, in order to endure. And so like I uh, really love the the kind of depiction of. Uh, suburban and marital malaise in this episode and found it to be very powerful. Um, the the other thing that I like about this episode is that it, it is actually overall pretty hopeful about uh, technology. Like most Black Mirror uh, mm-hmm. uh, most, most Black Mirror episodes end really depressingly and this one is actually like, hey, this technology has allowed these people to kind of like open up this space in their marriage that theoretically makes them happier or the theater theoretically yeah. allows them yeah, to yeah, self-actualize. Yeah. And that idea I think is, is pretty interesting and, and pretty well executed. Uh, what I didn't like about the episode was everything else. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people brought up the problem of this episode is that like, you don't really understand the character's relationship in this episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship between Danny and Carl, like, Okay, so like one of them happens to have a female avatar. Like, did did he purposely choose a female avatar? Like, um, and and by the way, I I just have to say, if this thing actually existed in the real world, um, <laughs> the first thing that guys would do if they were messing around with this game is try out all the different crazy shit that you I would, could do. In, yeah. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> Another reason why it makes no sense for yes. this to be a fighting game is because you don't just pick one avatar. Yes. Ever. Yes. You know, it's well, just, I, it, I think all this hinges, by the way, in that first scene that they have together where those two guys are just playing video games late at night and like they play it all th- all through the night, like into the morning. I think they even say they're like, oh, yeah, I only just pick one person. Basically. Yeah, but that it's such a contrivance. Like anybody yeah. that's ever yeah. played a fighting game, you, if you play all through the night at a certain point, you're like, okay, well I'm losing. I'm going to try a different character. It's just, that's just how those games are played. <laughs> and it, it, it feels like bending so many things 
to for for very little gain of, of whatever the gain of is uh, of like well it's violence it's masculine it's 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 aggressive it's versus each other instead of loving each other and then it turns into loving each other but you have to jump through so many hoops and ask the audience to suspend so much disbelief when it was sitting right there there's plenty of choose your avatar be in a virtual world and then have relationship. Like I would buy all of that if it felt more like a second life or like a ready player one style virtual reality yeah. where you have this avatar in this virtual world and you do whatever you do in it. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. That it was a fighting game. It just made it all goofy. I think that uh, this is alluded to a little bit at the end when uh, I think it's Carl talks about like how he tried to have sex with all these other characters. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, I even tried to have sex with the polar bear and it didn't work out. And it's like, that, that's, that is the first thing that those characters would have done is like, yes. let's try the polar bear and you be like, uh, you know, the, the, uh, undead zombie creature, you know, like, yeah, no. And also, so we're supposed to, there's literally a line in the, in the, in the show where he describes how different it is right. having an orgasm as a woman. What about. Do we know what having an orgasm as a polar bear is like? <laughs> yes, that's the first thing I would want to know, Jeff. That is the first thing <laughs> yeah, I would want to like find we're out. See the bigger picture here, but yes, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like it is so authentic to the female experience. But did the designers build in the polar bear experience and the, you know, like what what the hell? Yeah. So so I think that the movie, uh, aside from taking this like very broad position. Uh, I'm sorry, not the movie, the episode, but aside from taking this broad position that like, oh, technology lets you explore your sexuality in different ways. Like it doesn't really have that much to say about uh, what these characters sexuality actually is. Like, I I think it says that like just because they engage in this activity uh, in the game, like they're not that doesn't mean they are homosexual, you know, like that sexuality is like very fluid and that, you know, but like beyond that, like kind of very general statement we know so little about these characters like we don't know yeah. like were they did they always like love each other you know were they always sexually attracted to each other like we know so little about them that i don't think the the, the episode can really say that much mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. about what the technology does for them um so yeah. and, and my favorite scene in the whole episode was the one where they meet in their own like real life fighting game level with the rain coming down and try to kiss and then and and realize, oh, okay, no, there isn't some magic spark between us. It's not about that. But the episode completely drops the ball on exploring what that means. Yeah, it just yeah, goes, agreed. oh, okay, well, we'll just go back into the game and find a way to do. It's like, I think that's an interesting idea. Agreed. Of, oh, yeah. it's 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 not us. It's not this. We're not these star-crossed lovers that are just in the wrong bodies or whatever. It's something else. But the show never provides what that something else is agreed agreed so i think it just like it really uh had some interesting ideas there's a lot of things that were well executed but uh there was not that much follow-through in terms of like what the show was yeah. trying to say uh this episode was trying to say so uh which is the the problem plaguing the entire season pretty much yeah i think that's i, I think it's probably accurate so um that is striking vipers the first episode uh and i thought there was more good than bad but overall not great not great um, let's talk about the second episode, Smithereens. So in Smithereens, uh, we find out basically what happens when a, uh, a character, uh, flips out and tries to yeah. get in touch with the founder of like basically a Facebook, 
It's Mark um, you know, Twitter type a Facebook thing. equivalent. So in this episode, I'll read the yeah. plot summary. A rideshare driver takes an employee of Smithereen, uh, a large social media company, hostage. Unlike most other episodes, uh, this does not rely on near-future technology. As a reminder that Black Mirror is not solely a science fiction show. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that is kind of the overall plot is like Andrew Scott, who... Uh, you might know as Moriarty from Sherlock, uh, and also he also is, Fleabag, uh, the yeah. hot priest in Fleabag season two. Uh, he plays a rideshare driver, and he like kind of uh, accosts this uh, social media employee for reasons that become clear as the episode goes on. Uh, so I have to say that you know every season of Fleabag, there's usually uh, I'm sorry, every season of uh, Black Mirror, there's usually like an episode that's like a straight up procedural. Right, that's right, usually right. like not very many science fiction elements, but like just straight up procedural. This is that episode, and I have to say there are many things I liked about this episode. Um, uh-huh. Me too. This is my favorite of the season by far. So Andrew Scott, obviously amazing performer, and he does a great job in this role. But what I really loved is everything that happens in terms of getting in touch with the head of Smithereens uh, or Smithereen, I should say, felt extremely plausible. At, like as sure, somebody who sure, works. Sure. At a major tech company. <laughs> like, this felt like, oh, yeah, I, I could totally see it playing out in exactly this way. Uh-huh. Um, where, like, you know, the P- Penelope is, like, the, the COO or whatever. She's, like, jogging. She gets the call. And then she's, like, debating whether or not to actually bring in the CEO because it's, like... You only pull that lever if you like really absolutely need to. Listen, especially he's on a silent retreat. Especially okay? if a silent retreat. And then, and then the location <laughs> of the silent retreat. Apparently, all those scenes were shot in Spain, and it looked incredible. Yeah. It looked extremely yeah. plausible. That's what. So what I liked about this episode is like how plausible everything seemed. Right? Like how like it, it like step by step you see like what occurs when something like this were to happen. This major event were to happen. And uh, it all felt like, yeah, I, I buy everything that happened this episode. Like, there's very yeah. little that I felt like was unbelievable. So, well, I, I will say, like, the, the whole point of this episode, though, it is it is kind of like a morality tale about, like, social media addiction. And I don't think that final point really, really go, like, rams it home. Yeah. Okay, because I, th- I think Andrew Scott acts the hell out of this episode. He does. He adds so much to it. Uh, Damson Idris, like, as the as the person being held hostage. It's very, really, really good. Topher Grace as a sort of like aloof, like, yeah, aloof great. billionaire CEO who has no idea what he's created. Like, good stuff there. But what this episode hinges on is Andrew Scott just feeling, feeling like shit because he thinks like he caused this accident because he looked at a social media message. And I feel like, I, I don't know. I just wanted something more like for all of this, for, for this entire, you know, dog day afternoon situation to kind of resolve around that. And he sells it, but it did feel, it felt a little pat. It felt a little blunt. It felt like, Oh, this is what this is about. We're addicted to our phones. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you everybody. I do agree that it was a little pat and a little blunt, but there were moments of brilliance. I was on the edge of my seat throughout this entire episode and as as it as the machinations of how this all escalates continue to roll out, I just I thought it was so mm. tense and taut. And my favorite moment is when he finally gets Topher Grace on the on that line and finally gets him to to you know he he, he starts saying yeah you know I just I started making this company and I, I you know it's turned into something I don't and he goes 
I don't care. Stop. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the best moment because you feel like he's wanting to get the CEO to make that revelation of like, oh, we created something that horrible and maybe we should change. And he's like, no, I just wanted you to hear me. I just mm-hmm. wanted to be feel heard. And I thought that was so profound and so interesting uh, a choice to be, to make. It was this this small thing of just like I need in, in the same way that he was addicted to the social media thing of putting his feelings out and having someone respond to them. Yeah. He yeah. needed the ultimate response of the ultimate person who ran this thing and that's he all he that cared light. about. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, that, that was all very good. I will say, I also didn't care for like where the ending goes. Yeah. Which just so feels we, we like we got to a... talk about the ending, right? Which is, yeah. so before we get to the ending, okay. uh, just say that, like, I'll just say, uh, I, I, that moment in particular, Jeff really felt like it played out, uh, pretty accurately. Like th- this guy has gone mm-hmm. through this whole trouble. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care that Mark Zuckerberg is having a moment. Right, right. right. Um, I'm not here to provide catharsis for you. Right. He's you know? he's here for himself. Obviously, yeah. it's it's a it's a very selfish act. What yeah. Andrew Scott does, yeah. and and that, yeah. that kind of fill, fills it out. I do think that the Topher Grace coming to terms and like, oh, it's out of my control, blah blah blah. Like that is a very that felt very wish fulfillment e. And what I mean by that is yes. like it's like what we wish Mark Zuckerberg would say or think. But I well, just I don't I believe that th- is the reality. I don't believe but that's, that's the reality. why I love them throwing that away is because you yeah. feel it feels like the episode is building to that moment of like, oh, we've all wanted Mark Zuckerberg to go. Mm-hmm. Yes, Facebook is evil. I created something bad. And then he finally gets there and the guy's like, I don't sh- shut up. I don't care. You know, it, that's why I like the, the whole ep- episode throwing that away. I what? also really liked the idea of this Facebook entity knowing more than the police yeah. at every turn. That was pretty terrifying. Yeah. 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 And, but so that felt like, like th- that is the time when Facebook would mm-hmm. pull out the big guns, right? It's like, yeah. Hey, when, uh, so, when one of your employees' life is being threatened, I can totally <laughs> imagine Facebook invoking God mode, which is a thing that's been yeah. confirmed to exist. Yeah. Look at um, all the things we can do yeah. if we need to, if we want to. Right. Now's the time when we can do them. And we have had this ability the entire time. You know, it's like, it's, that that they didn't make a big deal about that, but it really was the thing that I felt was the best part of this episode is is that level of the tech of these suits in this room who've been elected or, or and, uh-huh. by nobody and overwatched by nobody mm-hmm. have the power to do things far more effectively and efficiently than the police yeah. themselves. Right. Telling the CIA basically to like fuck off. Like, yeah, I yeah. think it was the yeah. FBI actually, but yeah, yeah it was the FBI. Um, yeah. Uh, but the the part the part that I thought was like wish fulfillmenty that kind of bothered me, Jeff, is like that the the show. If if we take uh, Topher Grace's character to be kind of a uh, Mark Zuckerberg avatar, then the show kind of absolves um, Zuckerberg of responsibility in a way. Like I I, I, I felt that, it that. like it's like it's like he is now uh created something that is beyond his control that he cannot control which i just that doesn't that doesn't absolve of responsibility i think it just says like he like it's not the fact that maybe it's not malicious but he's literally ignorant and is not able to control this thing like he's still responsible for it but well, i don't, I don't saying, think that's the like, thing i don't think he's ignorant he's aware of how, what the the terrible things that the the company's doing um and but I, I'm I just saying, like he didn't like he that's not what they set out to do right the intent wasn't there for that and I think that's very different but I, um, I don't think the intent is there in real life either that's what I'm saying is like I I anyway that's my position is that like yeah. I think that the, the this episode in some way like 
almost like in in some ways absolves the Mark Zuckerberg character of responsibility, which is I don't think would be uh, true in real life. Like I just I no. don't I don't buy that that's the dynamic but in real life. So I, I do think like basically like this is it's not just Mark Zuckerberg, right? This guy kind of seems more like a Jack Dorsey character to me yes. because uh, yeah. there there is a Facebook like there is a Facebook replacement in this episode. That's Persona. That's another company. So mm. this one. Uh, yeah different kind of a social network we know about dorsey silent retreats and everything right and dorsey strikes me as a guy you know who i've, I've sat in with him for interviews like I've, I've seen him talk quite a bit he strikes me as a guy who has no clue what's going on around him yeah you know basically so yeah, you're right like, you're right that actually is a probably a better analog is dorsey rather than yeah. zuckerberg so good yeah. good call so it's like remember, this yeah. thing is being built you know he was a hacker kid who was just like in a good place at a good time and you know things spun out of control basically and i found i found that interesting at least yeah, like yeah, yeah. pretty yeah let's talk about the ending uh which i understood what it was trying <laughs> to do right it's uh-huh. trying to say like hey regardless of the outcome people will look on their phones for like 3 seconds and then not give a shit anymore right like that's and like that is how uh desensitized and inured we are to all the all the like constant you know flood of shit flowing into our social media accounts like that 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 is uh the extent to which we don't even care anymore that like something this remarkable can happen and people just peek at it and they move on right i understand that's what it was trying to do uh still found it to be pretty frustrating though (laughs) what did (laughs) jeff what do you think of the ending like were you okay with not finding out what happens uh, I think it's pretty clear what happens. I think he was shot. Um, but I all how do you how do you think that's clear though? Yeah, like yeah. The sound of the gunshot ringing out. Guns, but, but, guns but how do you shoot? You don't know where to aim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the question is not whether someone dies. The question is who dies, right? Yes. Like yeah. it's possible both of them died. It's possible um, the intern died. Um, nobody died. Me, they could have it, just missed it entirely. Yeah. It didn't seem to me to be as uh, mysterious as all that. I, I came away thinking. He died. He forfeited his life as he intended, as he wanted to have happen. But it, to me, I was struck by the the act of giving the the mother the password into her daughter's account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I that really actually kind of got me a little bit. That was uh, a nice moment. It was. Yeah. It was. But but also the gunshot rang out the moment she got in. Right. So it was yeah. like this idea of the gunshot happened when she hit enter. <laughs> Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, it's, it's, we're killing ourselves with this stuff. I, it, I didn't really yeah. take away what you said about, you know, it's a moment that people notice and then they get over. It's more like we're killing ourselves with this stuff uh, for what? You know, oh, well, we have very different interpretations of the ending. I, I yeah. mean, I think the, the episode is extremely purposeful in not showing you any of what happens when the gunshot rings. Like, like Jeff, regardless of what you think happened, the episode didn't show you for a reason. Yeah, right? like it's yeah, trying yeah. to say something by not showing you. Yeah, uh, and so that's that's kind of why I extrapolate to my uh, interpretation. Yeah, um, and I think mine's a little different too. Like I didn't get the whole thing. Like we'll just ignore this. It, to me, it just felt like it is so open ended in a way as to be like completely obtuse and kind of meaningless. Like it is so like choose your own adventure ending in a way that just made me kind of roll my eyes. Like I wish I th- this was a great point for him to actually say something. To make a point, 
it doesn't feel like the show wanted to do any of that. Hmm. I, yeah. Again, I thought it. I thought it did try to make a point, and I just I, I don't agree with the steps. Where, it took where to get are you there. getting the bits that? Yeah, we'll just forget about it quickly. Like because were you there see, like scenes? you see multiple shots of uh, people getting notifications. They look yeah. at it for like literally two seconds. They put it away. They go on with their day. Gotcha, they, they, gotcha. That that motif is repeated over and over again in that final sequence, mm-hmm. and I think it's it is trying to indicate the disposability of social media notifications of social media news. It's just being like, Oh, like, Hey, this life or death situation that was such a massive, like was kept us on the edge of our seats for an hour uh, is just like dismissed as like drivel by Mm -hmm. the masses, right? Like that. It's just social media has desensitized us to like anything important. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case either, but yeah, I can see your reading. Yeah. To me, it's also like I think of like when I get those alerts, like, guys, there's only so much we can process. The world is a hellscape. I don't think it's about social media, like, inuring us to it. It's more like, oh, oh, God, oh, God, I just I cannot take this. I cannot take this one thing. OK, so some guy was shot. OK, well, yeah, I got to worry about what my kids are doing, you know, for yeah, breakfast. I, I mean, but the whole episode, like the reason he took them hostage is because, uh, you know, that. Uh, he was too addicted to looking at things, and then I felt yep, it was—I yep, yep. I thought it was a good kind of like undercutting at the end to be like, "Hey, like everyone's looking at this stuff all the time, but by the way, it, it is like a tiny part of their day that has no significance whatsoever." I think so. I, may, I maybe missed some of those uh, cutaway scenes because like they happen like after they happen the in the credits. Black. That's right, and yeah. I hate that. I do hate that because I don't know when to stop watching. Fair enough. Sometime. Fair enough. You yeah. stop watching when the thing decides to send you into the next episode for yeah. Yeah, four seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you guys think his plan was always that? Or do you think I, he improvised the call to Zuckerberg because the plan went awry? But do you think no, he, that he was kidnapped – you think he kidnapped – he wanted to kidnap a high-level executive yes. yeah. for the express purpose of getting a hold of Zuckerberg? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That was the whole plan. Yeah. And the the hitch in this plan was that he kidnapped an intern basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Final episode. Uh, of like this has been fun to talk about with you guys, even though like yeah, I- I'm having yeah. more fun talking about it with you than I did watching the episodes. This um, is the best part of Black Mirror is the discussion. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel, Jack, and Ashley too. Um, this I would say was the dumbest out of the three episodes. Uh, <laughs> By far. By and far. and I think that like again, as you guys pointed out, opens really strong. Um, the idea, uh, like I actually love the Ashley too, like the design of that character. Um, in, in some ways, based after uh, the uh, the cylinder that the company I work for puts out. Um, what could know. that be? And also, like Eve from Wally, a yeah, little yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eve from Wally. Yeah, little, yeah. Uh, I, I will say little, the uh, the the most frightening thing for me this entire season, the most like bone chilling thing in Black Mirror, was the popified version of Head Like a Hole. Like my <laughs> God! What is the deal with that? What wow. is the deal with like using Nine Inch Nails so- in this in the Black Mirror universe? Yeah, nine Inch yeah, Nails yeah, yeah. didn't exist, but it's like rewritten. It's rewritten too to be positive and uplifting. And I think I think that like the the function of it being so weird and so like it kind of makes my skin crawl because it's like this is not right. This is this it's- is. We very bad. And Trent Reznor like gave his okay to all this, of course. So, like it was he a was you know, choice. I, but I, I, uh, the, the very teeny bopper version of it at the beginning, terrifying. Uh, maybe at the end where it's like literally just the song had like a whole, um, where it's more rocky. Like it kind of makes more sense. I wish the show had like leaned more into that. Like what led to that? Because she just says it's uh, the lyrics come from my dreams, basically. 
Yeah. So uh, one of the things I thought was pretty cool about uh, this episode is that like it uses ideas that have been brought up in previous Black Mirror episodes, right? Mm-hmm. So like the idea that you can duplicate an entire consciousness, uh, yeah. and and you know that that can you can put that onto a chip and blah blah blah. Like that's that's pretty interesting. Um, and the the show has come back to that well many many times but i do like the economy of like hey you know we don't need to do like we don't need to spend like 30 minutes explaining like how this thing works like you've already seen previous episodes we can just say hey her entire mind is on there like let's move on yeah like and so i I kind of appreciate the economy of that i have some if you want to talk about economy i have (laughs) i have some things that i need to say about this episode do it one of which if you're talking about economy we have maybe an all-time most shoehorned explanation, most take what do they what do they call that? Uh, uh, walk your dog around the block to get to the the entire reason that the dad is working on a. <laughs> humane rat thing it is such a huge part of the show that they they take so much effort to establish that he is trying to create a humane rat solution he has a rat car rat car all of that all (laughs) of the things that he's down in his basement all of the time he's busy all the time all of that is in the show there is so much effort put in simply so we can have one moment where the girls get on the computer and go blip blip okay her whole consciousness is on here we it is so you talk about economy it is the opposite of economy. well jeff it to is, be fair they also use the rat electrocution device yes. later in the episode right they couldn't have yeah. broken into miley cyrus's house oh, without that electric rat David, do not get me started on that. You have a bodyguard for the biggest pop star in the world whose primary audience is young women and a young two young women come to the door in an outfit saying we're supposed to be here and he goes, "Okay." Sure. You have got to be kidding me. He, literally the target audience, the most rabid fan base of your of the biggest pop star in the world, that exact demographic, which doesn't make any sense that there are rat catchers, right? <laughs> Comes to the door in a rat catch, ill-fitting rat catcher suit, and this dude <laughs> goes, "Oh, I don't want to lose my job. I, I don't want to not catch the rats that I have." Nobody seen. said he was good at his job, you know. It I, I, kinda, I like the way this oh. episode is basically like an Amblin movie. Of just like kids getting into hijinks, and your tolerance of that, I think, depends on like, yeah, how much you enjoy. I, I do think that the whole rat catching thing did make this episode way more silly. It than... jumped the shark, dude. <laughs> that is, it, we were in, we were like, yeah, maybe you can you can describe it as an Amblin movie, but I describe it more like a cartoon. We are in the wackiest Eddie Murphy vehicle from yep. the mid nineties, and it's a it, Dumb and Dumber car, basically, yeah. Yeah, and and it's like, and we're running down the street with uh, Miley Cyrus doing riffs with herself on the <laughs> as, as a robot. It is so <laughs> stupid, so stupid. And for what to like arrive in the theater and go stop? 
Okay, she stopped. I mean, I don't. What? 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 Luckily, what this is that? a theater you can drive into. That's a. That seems like a really nice perk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a pretty. Listen, it's, it's pretty rough episode. It's dumb. dumb. But, but I, the I first thirty minutes dumb. is really yeah. good, though. You know, like yeah. the idea of her like kind of being obsessed with this thing, and like, um, I I think actually the uh, Amazon cylinder, like there there's actually a program where you can actually have conversations with it and the idea of like exploring that like what happens when um these cylinders like become really conversant and like will they become like better friends than actual humans i think that's extremely Mm -hmm. possible and for the the episode to bring up that idea and then just completely jettison it you know like it has nothing at all to say about that david there is no universe (laughs) in which there wasn't a moment in the writing of this episode where he got to the point where he's like I got to figure out how these girls can unlock the full memory. Uh, there's just these, they're just two girls. How do they unlock? Okay. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to the beginning and I'll make their dad working on <laughs> neural net for rats. You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> like couldn't have, couldn't they have made, you know, one of this, the girls, a computer hacker or something, yeah. you know what I mean? It's and the they- clumsiest, most, <laughs> The, the, the thing Overwatch. about neural nets, Jeff, like the thing about neural nets, it's kind of like nanobots, your favorite. We don't <laughs> know how they work. We kind of just put data into them and things spit out. And we're like, OK, I guess this works. Um, but yeah, we, we don't even fully understand them. It's kind of hilarious. Like well, the, the output of it is just like this weird mystery thing. Yeah, I think the bigger issue, yeah. like the big issue with this episode is it basically covers ground that already has been trod better in other Black Mirror episodes, right? Sure. Like sure. Uh, 50 Million Merits, is that the episode, right? 50 Million Merits, that is my favorite episode. I think that episode is fantastic because yeah. it does such a good job of giving us characters. It builds this world. Like, it does so many cool things. Um, whereas yeah. this is like, yeah, this is an 80s kids movie, basically. The idea of, like, preser- like the idea of, you know, what, what it takes to, to achieve fame, the idea of, like, preserving consciousness has already been done better in other episodes, like... Um, mm-hmm. This episode has very little to add. I will say the one moment in this episode that I was like, that is brilliant. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, this moment came after uh, something that happened that I thought was really dumb, which was they're like, hey, by isol- by you know, by isolating her neural patterns, we can like achieve notes. We can yeah, figure out what yeah. notes are. Right? Like, so it's like looking at the matrix or whatever, which is just like, wow, that is a incredibly cumbersome way of writing down songs. Like, it would take like weeks to do like a one minute song, you know, like it's just it's it's nuts yeah. that they think that that's the way to do it. Um, but there is that moment when they're like he has that interface up and she's like singing this really sad song. And she's like, you know, give it a beat, tweak it, like make it more upbeat and, you know, like chirpy. And like he, he does it like in real time. And then you hear like the same song in a yeah. different way. And it's like, oh, wow, that could actually be on the radio, you know, and I was like. Yeah. I really appreciated like how like it gets at the the fluidity of music and how like mm-hmm. with with different producing the same song and the same lyrics can sound and feel really different. The, of course, the thing I'm describing was like literally 20 seconds of a one hour episode, yeah. um, but uh, that was really cool when they did that. So. It, it hints at a lot of cool things, like the idea of having also virtual pop stars, which exists right now. Um, but if you had somebody at the level of like Miley Cyrus who could be projected in giant hologram form, which I'm sure sir, some pervy guys will really enjoy, um, like there, there, there's a lot of that. Like there's a lot of cool potential of like what you could do with that character. 
Uh, but again, just brought up briefly and then kind of dropped. Like, I, I think all these episodes could use more time. Maybe if they had a little more room to breathe, maybe we'd get more from them. There's nothing about that version of Ashley, t- Ashley O at the end, that virtual version of her that is a, 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 a usable substitute for the real person. Like there's nothing about that technology that somehow is better than just playing a pre-recorded video of the actual person. Yeah. But you can't I, you can't have a concert. You can't have a concert without without that giant thing. You know, but why, I just don't understand how <laughs> pe- they think people will buy tickets to see what is clearly. I think people are buying tickets for hologram concerts right now, Jeff, like right now to, to see dead celebrities. Basically, I don't know yeah, how I big guess. it is, but that is a thing that's happening. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Devinger's right about that. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel you on the on the Tupac thing. But and, and you know, other, you know, others. It's going to be a thing, but the pitch that she was making in the show of how, like, mm-hmm. you know, it never gets tired. It never gets uh, – it's like, yeah, neither does videotape, which we <laughs> well, have. Jeff, Jeff, in five years or so, if somebody was like, we we have digitized prints. We have the full essence of prints, and it's backed by his estate and everything. And you can go there and see a giant life-size print, you know, realistically do this whole thing. I think you'd be down with that. But I think you pay money for that. What what the what the show showed us? It, I mean, yes, yes. First of all, yes. But <laughs> second of all, first of all, uh, you're right. What, you're right. What the show showed us <laughs> was a mo-capped actor off stage <laughs> playing her. It freaking! It was actually freaking hilarious, to be honest. Yeah, but <laughs> like, what the, the, this is this is my problem, and I'm being inarticulate presenting it to you. My problem is that the idea that they were saying is that somehow we are able to create the essence of her and extract it for, because we've actually mapped her AI into this thing. So it's, it's like you're watching her alive now, but what the show showed us is that's not at all what they it's were just doing. just literally a random person yes. dancing like Ashley O. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's just literally a mo-capped pre-recorded video. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing special about that. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you that that was weird, like that they didn't go far enough with the AI components of it. So like, I'm also not there yet. They have the technology to transfer consciousness. They do not have AI dancing. Right. <laughs> it is too complex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that is our review of the last episode of Black Mirror season five. Rachel, Jack, and Ashley too. Uh, it has overall been a mixed bag of a season. But some of the stuff is so well done that it like kind of you know I just don't know how to quit this show. It's right? still worth watching. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Don't know how to watching, quit. Watching we're talking about it's a good water cooler show. Yeah, we're hoping for more episodes. You don't feel like this is a downward trend. I'm uh, yeah. Uh, tough I feel to like say. Bandersnatch took the amount of time it would make to three uh, do three episodes basically. Like they filmed a lot of stuff. It was a big production. Maybe next season like they can be back to six or something. Uh, three does feel like too little. Yeah. Yeah, I'm up for giving it another shot, Jeff. I'm gonna return to the well once one one more time, possibly for the last time, uh, depending on how the next season goes. So there was yeah. more here to like than not like, I think. Mm-hmm. But at times it got pretty close. So all right. I would have turned off striking vipers if I could have. I was <laughs> I I mean mostly because my mom was sitting next yes, to me, but yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um all right. So that's gonna bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. 
Uh, find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Kanata, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I do a video game podcast called DLC. And this is E3 week, so we actually did some extra extra content. We did a big E3 press conference episodes, two of them this week already. Uh, and we're going to do a big E3 wrap-up show at the end of the week. So it's uh, 5x5.tv slash DLC or anywhere you get podcasts. And I'm also doing a live play Dungeons and Dragons show, which if that all sounds weird and foreign to you, basically it's a improvised storytelling medium akin to something like Game of Thrones. And I'm really proud of it. You heard uh, one of our emailers early in the show talk about how uh, I think it was she who uh, was was enjoying it, getting so many positive reactions. I hope listeners of the show will give it a shot. Uh, I want to keep making it, and I'm really, really proud of the thing we're creating. You can find that uh, on YouTube or as an audio podcast. It's called The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch it live and actually impact the story in real time on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time on caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Devendra Hardware. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech and gadget.com. I'm also doing a tech podcast at nomoretech.net. That's no with a K. And uh, check out the video that my wife and I made about Always Be My Maybe. You can find it at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. Next week, we'll be discussing Men in Black International. And I just got to say, it has been a rough summer for the sequels this, this year. Oh, man. Yeah. It has been a rough summer for the sequels so far. And uh, we will see if Men in Black International continues that trend or not. Next week on The Slash. <laughs> This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell 
everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs> 